Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? All right. Whew, that last song was beautiful. Well, hey, we just want to welcome you here this morning. If you've never been here, welcome to Calvary Chapel North Shore. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews today. So if anybody needs a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. Anybody? Keep that hand up. Hebrews chapter 1, we just started the book last week, and uh, we're going to be looking at some great things. we got a few announcements for you. Uh, next Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, we have uh, the craft fair that's going to be open to the public. You can come get some early gifts for Christmas. Uh, it's going to be out here in the lobby from 10 to 1 o'clock. You can see my wife. Where can I see my wife? Where's my wife? She's okay. Heather, you can come see my daughter, Heather, and she'll give you more information about that. So that's next Saturday. Uh, we did a packing party yesterday. We packed 55 boxes. That's good for uh, Operation Christmas Child. Um, we're, we're shooting for as many as we can get to get out there to the kids. So uh, grab a box, fill it up for a boy or a girl and uh, bless somebody who has really nothing. And we'll have the opportunity to receive those gifts along with the gospel. So that's, that's the good news. Um, we've got our big Halloween outreach coming up where we call it kind of the Hallelujah Outreach, where we go on the darkest day of the year and we bring light, we bring Jesus. And we tent the whole parking lot. We're going to have about five barbecues going. We're going to cook food for everybody in, in uh, Kilauea. And we're asking for you guys to donate your time. We need people to help with setup and cleanup. There's some sign-up sheets out there in the lobby uh, for those that want to cook, those that want to do food prep, those who want to help set up and, and tear down, and those who want to do a game booth, a booth, a little small tent with some type of a game where the kids get prizes. Everything's free, so tell all your neighbors, tell the whole North Shore. They, they pretty much know free food, free candy, and the gospel free. So we're looking forward to that. If you'd like to donate candy, as you can see, some people have already donated candy. What we're doing with the candy, we're putting them in bags with uh, tracks. We got Bible tracks, little kids' Bible tracks uh, to go out there to the public. We'll be giving away Bibles too. Uh, it's, gonna, it's, it's a real great opportunity to bring some light on one of the darkest nights. And so encourage you to get involved. If you've already signed up, we are going to get back to you. Uh, Chauncey will be heading up those that want to do the game booth. So you can, Chauncey's in the back there. Uh, yeah, there he is. Hi, Chauncey. They can't see you. They can't turn around. Um, but he was the guy playing the box up here. So uh, he's in charge of the game booth. So he'll coordinate with you. And then for the rest, for setup, cleanup, and, and tear down, we'll get a hold of you. But basically, we're going to show up here early on that day. I think Halloween's Tuesday, yeah? Tuesday? You guys don't know either? Okay. There we go. We got it. Okay. Well, whatever day it is, we're going to be probably showing up here around probably 3 or 3.30 to start setting up because it takes a while. If you have any extra tents, any 20 by 40s or 20 by 30s or pop-ups to bring, that would be awesome. We do need a few more barbecues because we're going to be just powering out the food. And uh, yeah, so exciting. Um, yeah. Myrna, you and me are excited about it. Um, what else do I got here? Let me check. Uh, we got Women of Faith Bible Studies on Fridays, 4.30 to 6.30. Uh, we've got a Bible study with Pastor David's been teaching on Wednesdays. We've got prayer Monday through Friday uh, right here at 6 a.m. Uh, 6 a.m. to 7 out there in the lobby. That's awesome. Um, 
We, we've got, what do we got? I think, I think that's it. Am I missing anything? Okay, quick meeting after church for the people that signed up for the craft fair. And that's it. Um, let's pray for Israel. They're really going through it. So, um, yeah, Father, we thank you um, that we can pray on behalf of Israel, Lord God. We, we pray in the midst of all this chaos that uh, salvation would come to the Jews. And not only the Jews, but to the Palestinians. That both sides would just be fed up with this world and surrender their hearts to you. And so, Lord, we pray that um, you would protect them, that you would guide them, that you would bring them back to trusting in you and their eyes to be open to see Jesus as the Messiah. And so, Lord God, we just uh, lay all this at your feet. We, we really don't know how to pray. We pray for the families that have children and families family members that have been taken hostage. We pray for the safety of those hostages, that you would put peace in their heart, and they would just trust in you, Lord, and comfort the parents, Lord God. There's nothing worse than worrying about a child. And so, Lord, uh, we just pray that you would give the leaders of Israel the wisdom to do the right things, Lord God. And, and so, Lord, we, we lift them up to you and, and ask that you would end this war. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Keep them in your prayers. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. You really need to watch out for who gets involved in this next. Um, there's a real danger when they do the invasion into the northern Gaza that Hezbollah will start firing full-on missiles. They've already been firing stuff from, from Lebanon, and Syria is already firing too, and that'll erupt the West Bank, and then they'll be surrounded. So uh, keep them in your prayers. Keep those little kids that were hostages in your prayers. I mean, Jesus said it's better that a millstone be wrapped around your neck and someone tossed into the sea than what he's going to do to those that offend the little children. And so uh, there's definitely an offense going on here. And Israel's taken a lot of heat for just protecting themselves. So we see it's a spiritual warfare. It's not really so much the physical warfare as much as it is a spiritual warfare. So keep praying for them. Well, we are in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. And I entitled this message the same as last week, The Superiority of Jesus Christ, but this is part two. The book of Hebrews is an amazing book. It's a book that just really straightens out any doubts you might have on your faith, any doubts you might have on who Jesus is, and it's probably one of the books more than some others that will radically change your life as you go through it and study it. Um, well, why, you know what? I know we only got through four verses last time. Why don't we just back up to verse 1 and read the whole chapter and then we'll get moving. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God who at sundry times, in other words, various times, in divers' manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, 
when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as He hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of angels said He at any time, Thou art My Son, this day I have begotten Thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. Speaking of Jesus. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and ministers of a flame of fire? But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And thy scepter is of righteousness, and the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee, thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they, shall all, they all shall wax old as does, as does a garment, and as a vesture shall you fold them up, and they shall be changed, but... You are the same, and thy years shall never fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture, and we ask that you would just illuminate it. Illuminate it to our hearts and to our minds, Lord God, that it would just come alive, and, and we would have a greater understanding of who you are and what you've done. And so we ask that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great stuff. The book of Hebrews. We did pretty much a full-on introduction last week. Only got through about four verses. Um, this book really sets the importance of understanding who Jesus is that he is superior over the angels. He is not an angel. He is superior over Moses and Joshua and all the others. He's superior over all the priesthood because he is our great high priest. He's superior over all creation. And when this letter came out in the early church, and as the gospel was going throughout the known world at that time, the church to the west of the Middle East kind of rejected the book of Hebrews because historic writings say Hebrews was written in Hebrew instead of Greek, later on translated into Greek. And the Christians in the early church in the western area thought, we don't need to read the book of Hebrews because it's for Hebrews. It's for the Jews. This is a, this is a common mistake that Christians do when they read the Bible is many times they'll read something and the Lord speaking to Israel or the Lord speaking to the Jewish people and they'll say, well, we don't have to, we don't have to worry about that. that wasn't to us. That was to the Jews. It, this is all to us. And I'll tell you what, the book of Hebrews will radically change your life. It'll give you confidence who Jesus is. It'll give you confidence who you are in Christ Jesus. It'll give you confidence about your faith. If you've doubted your faith or thought, can I lose my salvation? This, this book will straighten all that out. This book will cause you to love Jesus more. This book will cause you to serve Jesus more. 
And this will cause you to appreciate him a lot more than we do right now. This is a major important book, and I'm, I'm excited that we're going through it. The book of Hebrews points out the importance of understanding who Jesus Christ is. And we're going to look into today and a little next week about his superiority over angels. And the reason that's important, because there's a lot of cults out there that are telling people that Jesus Christ is an angel. He is not an angel. He is the creator. First John, I mean, John's first chapter of the Gospel, John tells us that he made all things and all things were made for him. Colossians tells us he made all things and all things were made for him and by him. It says he was before all things. What's that mean? He's not created. He's the preexistent one, like John told us. He was before all things, and he holds everything in his hands. Everything is held together by the power of Jesus, and as I shared with you last week, it's, it's harder to hold everything together than it is to just let go and let it blow. And he is holding everything together. He's holding you together right now. You're like, man, I'm going through it. Well, thank God he's holding you together. It could be worse, right? He's the creator of all things. He's not an angel. We're going to learn today that God demands all the angels to worship Jesus Christ. All of creation to worship Jesus Christ. But the cults will say, hey, he's, he's an angel. The, the Mormons will say that he's a cherub, like Satan, like Lucifer was. Lucifer was a cherub. He was an angel. There's so many different kinds of angels. There's different ranks. And there's ranks in the angelic world. There's, you know, privates and sergeants and captains and generals and things like that. And, you know, the principalities, the powers. And the same as in, in the demonic realm with the demonic angels, the fallen angels. And then you got demons and all that stuff. And, and the Mormons tell you that Jesus is a cherub created, and his brother was Lucifer. You don't get that from reading the Bible. You get that from reading a book that somebody else wrote about the Bible. And the, the story goes that, uh, that man fell in the garden when Adam fell in the garden, that uh, the father said to his two boys, hey, come up with a plan of redemption. And the father liked Jesus' better than Lucifer's, and, and Lucifer got bent. I mean, I could go on and on. Mormonism, and I'm, they're the sweetest people ever, but if you really understand what Mormonism is all about, it is so far out that you think you're on drugs. <laughs> then you've got the Jehovah Witness that'll say Jesus is Michael the Archangel. You will not find that anywhere in the Bible. Matter of fact, what we're going to see today is that all angels are called to worship Jesus. Jesus Christ is not an angel. He is the creator of angels. And what is the purpose of angels? We're going to find that today. That the purpose for angels is to minister to God and minister to you and me. Did you know that? Do you know we got angels that are watching us? We got angels that are all around us. There's angels in this room right now. You have guardian angels. Some of you probably have more than one. But they're in here right now and they're looking into the things of men. 
As the gospel's being preached, they're standing there and they're waiting and they're trying to protect you from the enemy coming in and snatching what's being spoken of, what's being preached today, and, and the enemy will come in and distract you for something that you were about to hear that would have changed your life, but because you got distracted in church, you missed it. And that's the purpose of the angels in here, to protect your heart and your mind, to make sure that you get the message that it hits your heart and it changes you and you have a transformed life. There's a war going on right now in this room that you can't see. There's a fight for your soul. And if you're here today and you don't, need Jesus, you don't know Jesus Christ, today's a good day to accept Him as Lord and Savior. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again on the third day. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He paid for your sins. He's offering you a gift. He's saying, listen, hey, receive this gift. You're saved by faith and faith alone, not by your works and not by your deeds, not by anything you can do. Accept what I'm offering. All you have to do is say, Lord, I accept it. I take what you're offering me. Forgive me of my sins. Lord, save me now. It's that simple. Don't let anybody complicate it. All religion out there, everything outside of Christianity has got you working to try to earn salvation. You can't do it. You can't do it. And so we have this angel ministry in our lives, angels watching over us, angels protecting us, and, and angels are innumerable. We don't even know how many. Revelation talks about ten thousands of ten thousands of thousands of thousands. That's a number we can't even compute. There are so many angels, and they've got a job to do. And they're here to minister to God and to minister to you. They were here before the earth was made. God made the angels before he laid the foundations of the earth. Matter of fact, in Job 30, I'm going, to say, I'm going to pepper you with a lot of verses today. Don't bother turning there because the time you get there, I'll be on another verse. Okay, so just take notes or, or watch it again on YouTube or whatever. Um, Job 38.7 says that the angels shouted for joy when God made the earth and all the creatures in it. Hebrews 12.22 tells us 12... 20, verse 22 tells us that the angels are innumerable. There are so many angels, there's no way for you and I to count in these mortal bodies. We know that angels are to protect us. Remember, there's all these different levels of angels. Well, I want to kind of give you an idea how powerful they are because one angel, one run-of-the-mill angel, one low-level private angel, one Barney the angel wiped out 185,000 Assyrians in one night after dinner by himself. And cherubim and seraphim, they're like nuclear bombs compared to that. They're here to protect us. In the book of Job, Satan came before the Lord and, and God said, what do you think about my servant Job? Have you considered him? And he said, oh yeah. I've been watching him like a hawk. But you know, he loves you only because you've given him everything and he's got all this stuff. Why wouldn't he love you? And you got this hedge of protection around him. I can't get to him. Thank God for the hedge of protection he has around you. Oh my gosh. You know, and when we think of hedge of protection, we think of this cute little mocky orange shrub around us. You know, we're like, it's, it's not that. 
It's God and his angels. They're the ones that are protecting us. In Psalm 34, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. We know the angels are in our midst right now. We already talked about 1 Peter 1.12 says that the angels are looking into the things of man as we preach the gospel. God is using man to unfold his plan to the angels. They are learning about God's plan through us. Now, I got to say, they're probably up there going, Lord, we could do a better job. But, you know, that's the love of God. That's the grace of God. That's the mercy of God that he would take you and I and use us. Because he loves you so much. And I can do all things through Christ Jesus. If you're here today and you don't think you think you can do anything for God, then you don't understand his love and his power. He's living and dwelling in you. And I can do all things through Christ Jesus. He's the one that strengthens me. They're watching over us. In 1 Corinthians uh, 11, he tells us that angels are watching us. He says this, check this out. You're going to like, well, yeah, some of you will like this. For this reason, the women ought to have a symbol of authority on their head because of the angels. All right, we had one woman that liked it. <laughs> Basically, what this is talking about is when he's talking about the order of the house, the family. That God has a certain order. The, the man is the head of the family. He's not a dictator. He's not a jerk. He's a godly man. And it says, Wives, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's an order. And when a woman tries to usurp that order, there's problems. It doesn't work out. So when he says this comment here, for this reason, women ought to have a symbol of authority over their head. He's speaking of they should be looking to their husbands as the head of the family. Why? Because angels are watching. Why does he say that? Because angels know when you break the order of God, they get nervous. Because they witnessed somebody who tried to usurp the authority of God. His name was Lucifer, and he fell and became Satan. So when he sees this happening in our families, they get a little nervous. They're watching us. We know that um, there are cherubs, cherubims, around the throne of God. We see that uh, in the scriptures. Uh, we see these creatures with wings. Uh, one has the face of a lion. One has the face of an ox. One the face of a, of a man. One the face of an eagle. And they're around the throne of God and they're, they're crying holy, holy, holy all the time. And they're super powerful. We know that Lucifer was a cherub. He was the cherub that covereth and thought to have led worship in heaven. And so you can imagine him over the top leading worship and kind of like going, man, this, this could be me. And it was pride that welled up in Lucifer which caused him to fall. And pride is the origin of sin. God hates pride. And I'm just so grateful that you guys don't have any pride and that things don't ever get to you. But in Isaiah 6, he talks about the seraphim. Now, the seraphim are wild-looking creatures too because they got like six wings, two to cover their face, two to cover their body, two to fly with, but they have a head with four faces, one an ox, one a lion, one a man, one an eagle. And, and they're, like, they're like weird. They don't ever turn because they can see in every direction. There's a face in every direction. So they just kind of like move this way and then move that way, move this way. You know what I'm saying? And they're wild looking creatures. Then 
we have an archangel. Now, some say there are multiple archangels, but I've never found that in the Bible anywhere. I've only seen one called an archangel, and his name is Michael. And Michael is one bad dude. When Michael shows up in the scene, butts get kicked. He's the, he's the angel that guards over Israel. Uh, the only time that he pulls back is when Israel is getting disciplined by the Lord. But we see him throughout the scriptures battling with Satan. We, we know that when uh, Daniel was praying in Daniel 9, that, um, that he was praying and that God heard his prayers and dispatched Gabriel to come to him. But Gabriel got intercepted by Satan, the prince of Persia. Persia's Iran. And it's where we're seeing all the garbage coming for, forth from right now against Israel. And Satan intercepted him and held him there for three weeks until Michael showed up and straightened everything out. Michael is a tough hombre. He is, angels are gnarly, guys. You know, we, we, we see these little pictures and paintings of, of angels. They're little chubby babies with little wings on them and everything. And, and that's not what they look like because, you know, if somebody goes, oh, look, the angels are here to protect us. Like, yeah, I don't think they're going to do anything. They're not little chubby babies with wings. They're gnarly. And Michael gets on the scene and he does some serious stuff. Now, you know, sometimes I hear people say this, and I understand what they're saying, but they say that, uh, that Satan is the opposite of God. No, he's not. Satan can't even get in the realm with God. God is so far ahead of Satan, he's in his own realm. You can't compare Satan to God. If you want to find the opposite of Satan, it would be Michael the archangel. But nobody even gets in the game with Jesus Christ. He's, he's, he's not number one on a, on a list of one to ten. He's number one on his own list altogether. He's the creator of all things. You, you can't get in the ring with him. And we see that Satan is no match for Michael the archangel. We see Michael mentioned in Daniel, in Jude, in Revelation. And we see angels are waiting to be dispatched. You know, that's why I always tell you guys, prayer is so powerful. And, and we see that, the, that, you know, when God doesn't answer your prayers right away, that there are bowls filling in heaven with your prayers. And maybe just a couple more prayers would spill out the blessing. But you stopped praying right when you were about to get blessed. And you got like, just think these big dog angels just up there going, ah, ah, come on, just pray so we can come down and do our thing. And they're chomping at the bit to come minister to you, to come protect you, to come to do God's will. I think there's a special angel for food prayers. And that's why I always say to you guys, when you pray for food, pray for me. Throw me in that prayer because then I'll get prayed for three times a day, maybe more for some of you. Right? But I, I think what's sad to me is I got a feeling that the angel over food prayer gets a lot more prayers than the other angels. Right? I mean, you picture these angels. They're like ready to dispatch. They're ready to come to the rescue. They're ready to come and fight for God's will and for you. And, and then they go, oh, look, they're gathering. Here we go. Here we oh, it's a food prayer. <laughs> I 
If one ordinary angel can wipe out a whole army, 185,000 in one night, what kind of power is at your fingertips? Because God dwells in you. Don't ever say, I can't. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. All things. Amen. We see in the scriptures that angels bring messages. Gabriel, Gabriel was known for that, bringing messages to Daniel, to, to Mary, to Joseph, to Zechariah. Uh, in, in Revelation, we see angels in the tribulation, one going forth and preaching the gospel, another going after him to warn everybody, and another, word, another one saying, listen, you're not of this world. And they're preaching the gospel, so they're bringing messages we see that angels have personalities. We can upset them. In Luke 2, you remember when uh, Gabriel came to Zechariah, the, the priest, and was telling him that he was going to have a baby, John the Baptist, right? And he was telling him all about it, and Zechariah was like him and his wife. It says that they were stricken in age. I mean, that's King James. I mean, stricken in age is like old age will beat you up, right? And they were past childbearing years. They were past functioning to have a child. And so this angel comes, and he says, we've heard your prayers. You and your wife have been praying for years for a child. It's going to happen. God's going to make it happen. It's going to be wonderful. He's going to pave the way for the Messiah. And, and Zechariah, who is a priest, goes... I don't think that's going to happen. A priest. That would be like a pastor. Oh, wow. I don't think that's going to happen. And Gabriel gets upset. He goes, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. You're acting stupid. I'm going to make you dumb. And Zechariah was dumb. He couldn't speak until the baby was born. So we can upset angels. And angels minister to God and to us and that's a beautiful thing verse 4 hebrews chapter 1 says having become so much better speaking of jesus christ than angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they becomes speaks of jesus christ being revealed as god in the flesh jesus came into this world he did the unthinkable he came to die for our sins. But what you need to understand is when you, we're going to see some verses and when it talks about him being uh, firstborn or, or begotten, there's, there's some different words that are being used. So uh, one speaks of authority and other actually speaks of a, a, a birth or a creation type thing. We need to understand that Jesus had to become a man in order to die for man because Jesus being God cannot die so that was the purpose of him being clothed in flesh in the likeness of a man he was god but he looked like a man he was clothed in flesh so he could die so the body could die for the sins christ could not die and so that was the purpose of it so when you when you read these certain scriptures what you're talking about is jesus impressed himself into our world through a virgin, Mary, and came into this world clothed in flesh on our behalf. And when it talks about his inheritance here being so much better, it, to the Jews, 
that speaks of a supreme representative. That speaks of God Himself. And this was huge for the Jews, and it speaks of His position and His supreme superiority over all creation. In Romans 14.11 it says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Confess to who? What God? Father or the Son? The Son. Philippians 2.10 That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, the things in earth, the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Because He's the Creator of all things. In the heaven, on the earth, under the earth. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is God. Even at the great white throne judgment, all those that rejected Jesus will be cast into the lake of fire, everlasting punishment. And they'll have their day standing before Him. And they'll say, I never knew you. And they will bow their knee and they will confess that Jesus is Lord, and they'll be cast into eternal fire because of their pride and not wanting to take the gift that Jesus offered them. In Acts 4.12 it says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You know, when, when I hear people say, you Christians, you're so narrow-minded. It's, you think your way is the only way. There's only one way. And He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. There's one way. I'm blown away that there is a way. We, we dropped the ball. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were all born into sin because of Adam and Eve. And God did the unthinkable because He loves you so much. Died for you so you could have everlasting life. When people tell me, oh, you guys are narrow-minded one way. Yeah, well, you know what? If I had a vaccine for, the, for cancer, a, a total cure for all cancers, would you argue about that, that you want choices? No, why? Because you're facing death. And everybody that doesn't know Jesus is, is facing eternal death along with physical death. And they need a Savior. In Judges chapter 13 angel of the Lord appears unto Manoah. And Manoah was uh, Samson's dad. And he comes bringing the promise of Samson that they're going to have a child, right? And Manoah asked the angel of the Lord, he says, what is your name that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said unto him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is a secret or seeing that it is wonderful? You've got to understand what the Hebrew is saying right there. Basically what the Hebrew is saying is the Lord says to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is beyond your ability to understand? I don't think we really understand completely who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's capable of doing. It says there in verse 5, for which of the angels did I ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is none. Here, right here. See, this is why the cults don't like the book of Hebrews. Because it settles the issue that Jesus is not an angel. 
He is God, the creator of all things. For to which of the angels did I ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? It just puts it into place. You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. It's a quote from Psalm 2 in Samuel, 2 Samuel 7.14 that Jesus is not an angel. Where it says, you are my son, it, it, the Hebrews would really understand this as more like by someone saying, you are my son, is that he's saying, you are me. The Father is saying, Jesus and I are one. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, but one. You are me. Begotten speaks of appointed and authority. This verse speaks of the position that Jesus Christ occupies with the Father. Their relationship. Their relationship is loving. Their relationship is strong. Their relationship is intimate. They are one. They are equal. And Jesus was submissive to the Father. Now when we think about submitting, a lot of times we think of tyrants that force people to submit to their regime and they physically have to submit, but mentally and emotionally they don't submit, right? But here we see Jesus was submissive. He always said, I never did anything unless the Father told me to do it. I never said anything unless the Father told me to say it. And he, he, he always on, he said, he even prayed when he was starting to feel that separation was coming soon where God the Father would have to turn his back at Jesus on the cross because God has to turn his back to sin and Jesus was dying for a sin. That's why Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Because for the first time in eternity, he felt the separation from the Father. But he said in the garden, he said, listen, uh, if there's any other way by which men could be saved, but not my will, thy will be done. He was submissive to the Father. And submissiveness is easy when you have a deep love for someone and the same goals. It's real easy at that point. See, Jesus went to the cross willingly. Jesus took that whipping that tore all his flesh apart. He took it willingly. He took the beating willingly. He took the nails in his hands willingly. He died on the cross for your sins willingly. It was his heart's desire to do this because he loves you so, so much. I'll tell you what, it's a good thing I'm not God because I wouldn't have done it. I would have submitted to God. You know, hey, it's easy to submit when everything's going groovy, right? And then as soon as it gets tough, it's like, whoa, whoa. Pull back, pump the brakes on that one. What's going on here? Nah, I'm not up for any whippings. You know, remember when they put a bag over Jesus' head and they started punching him? They're like, prophesy who hit you? I would have told they would have put a bag on my face and punched me. I would have said, yeah, prophesy who hit you. I would have said, well, you with the bad breath, the skanky breath, you hit me. You over there with a scar on your face named Anton, you hit me. You over there, you hit me. And if you guys do it again, you're going to be breathing flames in hell. That's what I would have done. You've got to understand the tremendous restraint that Jesus Christ had as he's getting whipped with a cat of nine tails, and the first ten lashes open up the, the skin and the muscle. The second ten get down towards the organs, and many men never even left that place because they were so opened up and just fell out their insides. He took those beatings. He took the punchings. He took that, and then he was nailed to a cross, and he said, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. 
And he willingly submitted to a brutal beating by his own creation. Who killed Jesus? I did. With my sin. You hear people arguing, oh, this, it was the Jews that killed Jesus. No, it was the Romans that killed Jesus. No, it was us. It was you and me. He had to do it in order that we could have salvation. Verse 6, he says, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. I don't know how much clearer it could be for people that all angels are called to worship God. And where it talks about this uh, firstborn here into the world is actually speaking of his physical birth through the Virgin Mary as he came into the world, as he was impressed into our world, and he came into our world fully God and fully man, God in flesh. First Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up to glory. Why? Because he is God and he's not an angel and all the angels are to worship him. The cults will tell you that Jesus Christ was never worshipped. Somebody needs to read their Bible. Because all through the Bible it talks about Jesus being worshipped. In Luke 2 we see the, the angels announcing his birth to the shepherds and all the angelic hosts appear in the heaven and tell everybody to wor come worship the king. Don't tell me Jesus was never worshipped. <laughs> Crazy. Revelation um, 5.13 says this, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as were in the sea and all that were in them, I heard, a, heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Jesus being worshipped. It talks about uh, in verse 11 of chapter 5 of Revelation, they looked and they heard a voice of many angels round the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor, glory and blessing. They're worshipping Jesus. Don't tell me the Bible doesn't show anybody worshiping Jesus. It's all over the place. Revelation 4, 6, and it says, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. In the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, the third beast had a face of a man, the fourth beast was like a flying eagle, and the four beasts had each of them six wings about them. They were full of eyes within and out, and they rest not day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty which is and is to come and when those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever the four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and they worshipped him and then that the living 
and him that liveth forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Everything was created for His pleasure. You were created for His pleasure. Now, I, I, I say that to encourage you because many times, how many of you pray every morning? All right, that's a good, good group. And I, I'm not putting you down, but how many of you basically are praying a list that you want God to do? I am. Everybody else got shy. It's like, need some more hands to go up before I do it. There's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, you don't need, need to ask. He already knows before you ask, right? But I, I say this, I read that scripture, you were created for his pleasure. This is, this is what you should be doing. Every morning you should wake up and say, Lord, reporting for duty. I got some plans. Feel free to mess them up. I'm here for your good pleasure. What will you have me to do? In verse 7 it says, And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. This is an amazing portion of Scripture here. In verse 7, there's a quote from Psalm 104. And, and Jesus Christ is the creator of the angels, and the angels are to come worship Him. But it's kind of a difficult verse to understand because He says, who makes the angels spirits and His ministers a flame of fire. Now, this quote from the Psalms, if you look at the Hebrew, what it says is, who makes his angels wind and his ministers of fire. And ancient rabbis interpret this that God has certain angels that are in the wind and certain angels that are in the fire. And that these angels will come out of the wind, they will do God's will, and they will go back into the wind, and they'll come out of the fire, do God's will, and come back into the fire. I don't know if that's true. I thought it was interesting. That's rabbinic writings. Kind of an interesting thing to think about. I know that in Judges 13, when the angel left Manoah, it says he went up in a pillar of fire. So, but verse 8 is probably the most powerful verse here because it says, but to the Son, he says. But to the Son, the Son, Jesus Christ. But to the Son, the Father says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Did you, did, was that just for me? Did you, that just, that, that is an undeniable scripture that the Father and the Holy Spirit are calling Jesus God. They're calling Him God. Your throne, Jesus, your throne, O oh God, Jesus, O oh God, is forever and ever. A clear declaration from the Father that Jesus Christ is God. A quote from Psalm 45, verse 6 and 7. 
Titus 2.13 says this, Look, We are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people zealous for good works. God wants you to hate lawlessness because it just told us there that a scepter of righteousness is in his hands, the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. The anointing speaks of his position. Anointed you, Jesus Christ, the oil of gladness more than man or angels. It shows the importance. Now, as we get into verses 10 to 12, we will see the superiority of Jesus by his existence. Look at verse 10. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. That's encouraging. I don't know about you, but that's a quote from Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. His superiority in his existence. Aren't you glad that God will never change? Philippians 2.6 says, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Coming in the likeness of men. He made himself of no reputation. Why? Because he already had a reputation. He didn't need to vaunt, you know, flaunt it out there, but he already had one. He is God. He is the preexistent one. He is eternal. He never changes. Malachi 3, 6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. That, I'll tell you what, that to me, that's one of his greatest attributes. Thank God he doesn't change. Can I get an amen? amen. I mean, can you imagine if he changed his mind about you? Can you imagine? I thank God... He's not going to change his mind about me. I thank God that he never changes. We change. Oh, Lord, I'll never do that again. <laughs> Aren't you glad that he doesn't go, hey, you know what, Steve? I used to really like you, but I'm not into you anymore. Go to hell. <laughs> I am so glad that he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that he loves me with such a love, he can't wait for me to get into heaven to be with him for all eternity. I thank God, for, I thank God that he loved me knowing the wretched man that I am. Knowing all my sin that I haven't even done yet, that I'm going to do. And he chose to love me anyway. That's unconditional love. Hello? Man. Crazy. Next, we're going to look at Jesus Christ as superior because of his vocation, his calling. Look at verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? See, that was a common practice back in the day. When a king would conquer another king, they'd bring that king out and they'd throw him on the ground and then the conquering king would step on his neck and raise his sword and everybody would cheer. 
you know, our king's coming? He came with love the first time. He's coming back with wrath the second time. And he's not going to pull any punches. I'm going to read this to you. This should excite you. Ready? Revelation 19.11. Now I saw, this is, this is taking place after God has already raptured out the church. The world is entering into the seven-year tribulation. And then at the end of the tribulation, the seven years, the Lord's going to come on a white horse. We're going to come riding with him. And he's going to come and put the enemies down. And he's going to stand on their necks and say, I'm victorious and set up his kingdom. And, and it says when he comes, every eye is going to turn that's left on the earth. They're going to see him coming with all of us. So maybe you haven't ridden a horse before, but you will be doing good in your new body. We're going to ride along. We ain't going to be doing anything. We're just going to be watching. We're just there for like support. You know, like We're here for you. We want to see this. We want to witness. But it says in Revelation 19.11, when that happens, it says, Now I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, that's us, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on a robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Woo! That's going to be really cool. And he sets up his kingdom, and you and I rule and reign with him for a thousand years. He wants to show us what the earth was supposed to be like. Whew. Let's wrap this up. Verse 13, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Who, who's them? That's us. They're here to minister to God and to minister to you, the heirs of salvation. Angels are watching you. They stick with you. They report to God about you. That should make you a little uneasy. They're always with you. And they all worship Christ Jesus. Jesus is God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for making the scriptures so clear that it silences the cults. And Lord, I pray for a move of the Spirit in our church in such a mighty and powerful way that we see evidence of the transformation that you're doing in all of us. And God, we beg you, help us to submit ourselves to you completely, yielding ourselves to be used by the Master at any capacity, whether it seems like a lot or a little. Help us to be faithful to obey 
And Lord, help us in these last days as we see everything unfolding. We know you're coming soon. We know time is short. And Lord, as we look out and we all personally know family and friends that aren't saved, I pray it would break our hearts to such a point where we would make a huge effort to share the love of God with them again. Lord, let our hearts be ruined as we look around this North Shore and see those that are lost and going to hell. And Lord, let that just ruin us to have such a heart to care for them that we would be willing to put ourselves out there to share your love that they would be saved. If there's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ, you came in here, someone dragged you here, whatever the case, and now you realize that salvation is a gift, you can't earn it, would you just pray with me right now and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Just pray along with me. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I realize you died on the cross for me. You paid the price for my sin. You rose on the third day. You're seated at the right hand of the Father. You are God. You are the only one who can forgive sin. Save me now. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer in your heart and you meant it, just lift up your hand that I can keep you in mind. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And you, praise the Lord. Oh, man. Awesome. And you, I see you. Oh, gosh. The, the Bible says when one person gets saved, all of heaven shouts. Can you guys shout for me? All right. 